I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's auto industry, which has experienced rapid growth and transformation in recent years. How has China's auto industry changed, particularly on the electric vehicle front? And what is driving these shifts? What are the implications for the United States and Europe? Here to discuss this and more is Dr. Ilaria Mazzocco, a senior fellow with the trustee chair in Chinese business economics at CSIS. Prior to joining CSIS, she was a senior research associate at the Paulson Institute, where she led research on Chinese climate and energy policy at Marco Polo, the Institute's think tank. She holds a PhD from Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, SAIS, where her dissertation investigated Chinese industrial policy by focusing on electric vehicle promotion efforts and the role of local governments. Thank you so much for joining us, Ilaria. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. So we're covering China's auto industry today, and to start off, it would be useful if you could give us some context into what China's auto industry looked like in the past, say maybe 10 years ago. How have things shifted in the recent years? Yeah, there's some irony that today we talk about China's automotive industry as such a success story, because for decades, this was a real area of frustration for Chinese policymakers. I would go back further than just 10 years, just to say that since the late 1970s, the Chinese government has engaged with foreign automakers to try and attract foreign direct investment and boost its own domestic manufacturers. And the attractiveness of China for foreign automakers was that this was eventually going to become and has become the largest automotive market in the world. And for the Chinese government, of course, it was a question of attracting foreign technology. Over the years, then, this created sort of the foundation foundation for the structure, which lasted until very recently, where you had very successful joint ventures between typically state-owned enterprises and foreign companies, you know, think of GM, Volkswagen, some of the most successful ones. Then you had some Chinese brands, which really started getting more popular since the 90s, but really the 2000s. And this was the model for a very long time. But what was the really the characteristics of the Chinese automotive industry, which are relevant to today's conversation and continue to be quite important is local support for the industry, so local government support for the industry, which has led to a lot of fragmentation in the industry. What I mean by that is that you tend to have a lot of small producers in the Chinese automotive industry, which aren't selling a lot of cars, but they kind of stay alive because they receive support from the local government. So that's sort of been, that was the, the situation throughout the 90s, the 2000s. Now, what has changed in recent years is that thanks to the rise of this new technology, electric vehicles, a lot of Chinese companies are doing very well without the need of foreign partners and are actually starting to reduce the market share of some of these foreign automakers. So you're really seeing head-to-head competition, which wasn't the case before. And in many cases, I think we're we're now seeing that these Chinese brands are producing also very competitive, attractive vehicles at a very competitive cost. Thank you, Laria. Maybe I should have started with this question, but if we could back up a bit, why should we care about China's auto industry? You mentioned electric vehicles. Why should we care about China's electric vehicles and what they're producing there? Well, the automotive industry is 
quite important globally. It's a huge source of jobs globally. It's a big share of manufacturing. And the reason I think we tend to care about it is that actually a lot of manufacturing is concentrated in developed countries. So, you know, the United States, Europe, Japan, Korea, these are all big players when it comes to the automotive industry. So I think that's one reason why it matters quite a bit. China's industry matters. Well, China matters because it has a very big market. So it's quite important for auto automakers, international automakers. But then also what we're seeing now is that Chinese automakers are starting to go abroad and compete more directly with these automakers, not just in China, but also abroad. And EVs are all part of this because this is the technology of the future in many ways. And so right now in China, every year, the market penetration of electric vehicles, so the number of EVs that are sold relative to the overall number of vehicles keeps growing and surpassing expectations. And that's been the case actually also in some other markets as well. The U.S. is a little bit of a laggard compared to for example, Europe, but here too, there's been a pickup since the Inflation Reduction Act. So this is like the next generation of vehicles. And that's why we care about it is because it really may determine which companies succeed and consequently also which countries are going to continue to have a big role in auto manufacturing. And in terms of the importance of EV beyond just the economic importance, I've also seen arguments about how it's important for environmental climate change, reducing dependence on foreign oil. How do you look at how China views this? Do they view EV as just purely from the economic importance or do they also view it as having importance beyond the economic rationale for them? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking that, Bonnie. I mean, obviously, shifting to electric transportation would reduce emissions significantly. And I think, you know, emissions from on-road transportation are quite significant. They're one of the number one causes of CO2 emissions in this country, for example. But in China, it's a little more complicated. If I can actually share my personal story, I wrote my dissertation on electric vehicle policy in China. And when I started looking at this, I was interested in environmental policy in China and climate policy. And so, you know, I, I started looking at policies to reduce emissions from transportation. I started researching electric vehicles and quickly I found that actually all the policymaking wasn't being made in the ministries that oversee climate or environmental policy, but by the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology and before that, the Ministry of Science and Technology. So it really was from the start, the policies to promote EVs in China were coming from the apparatus that oversees industrial policy and was really an industrial policy question. Now, in addition to that, I think it does certainly fit into a broader push within China towards decarbonization. And certainly, uh, I think there are discussions in China about how this could benefit energy security, because of course, China is a big importer of oil. So that is also part of this discussion. But I think this gets to a broader point that in China, climate policy is intrinsically linked with economic policy. And so many of the clean tech industries that are core to meeting decarbonization goals and reducing emissions globally in China have been seen as export industries. They've been seen as drivers, new drivers of growth. And so they've received the same kind of subsidies that you might see for other industries like semiconductors, for example. And so I think now there's been a shift in the West and not just the West, but around the world where a lot of other governments are thinking about these issues. But in China, I think this predates the conversation in the U.S., for example, by quite a few years. Well, thank you, Ilaria. I know you've done quite a bit of work on not only electric vehicles, but also China's auto industry as a whole. 
And you recently published a CSIS report looking at China as the world's largest vehicle exporter. Could you unpack some of the details of this? How, from your perspective, has China been able to overtake historical powerhouses like Japan? Yes, thank you, Bonnie, for the shout out. This was a report that I co-authored with Gregor Sebastian from Merix, and is available on the CSIS website, where we really tried to unpack what was the drivers of China's EV export boom. So I would say there has been a significant uptick in exports, both of internal combustion engine vehicles and electric vehicles. The internal combustion engine uptick, the growth has not been quite as large, but the numbers are, are pretty significant, and a big. Driver of that was actually Russia. So one big driver of the internal combustion engine export uptick was that as legacy automakers pulled out of Russia due to its invasion of Ukraine, Chinese automakers were able to fill in the void. So they've really sort of replaced a lot of the foreign automakers from Korean automakers, Western automakers, etc. And so they've really taken advantage of that. So that explains in part, I think that's a big explainer from the internal combustion engines side of things. I actually think the electric vehicle side is quite is much more interesting and we've seen a, a more rapid growth. Growth. And, and just to give you a sense of the, of the numbers here, exports of EVs in 2020 amounted to $2.5 billion. In 2022, it was $22.62 billion exports from China. So, you know, that's a pretty significant increase. There's various reasons for that. One is that there's just more demand globally for electric vehicles. And the most significant destination for EVs is Europe. And there has been you know, very significant growth in demand for EVs. There is another reason that is that on top of that, EVs from China are, are produced in China are quite competitive. And when I specify, I specify it's not just Chinese brands, it's also foreign automakers that are exploiting their, their manufacturing capacity in China to export globally. So what we found was that in the first half of 2023, almost 40% of exports of electric vehicles from China were Teslas. So I think that's just like a good reminder that we're not just talking here about Chinese brands, we're also talking about Western manufacturers that are producing in China and then exporting elsewhere. And this, I think, gets that to some of the concerns in Europe, for example, over outsourcing, essentially. That's a pretty shocking figure, Alara, that 40% of electric vehicles that were exported from China were Teslas. So are you saying, at least in the auto industry, in terms of electric vehicles, you're not seeing companies move away from China, despite what's happening in terms of U.S. efforts to de-risk from China, you're actually seeing companies move towards China. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated, right? And so I should specify that was exports from China to Europe, right? But Europe is the biggest market for Chinese EV exports. So it's complicated. A company like Tesla is obviously especially complicated. And I should note they're quite unique in a way because Tesla is the only company that has a wholly owned factory in China. So they're able to produce vehicles in China for the Chinese market and for the export market without a Chinese partner. So they are in some ways extremely invested in the Chinese market and they are exploiting that manufacturing capacity that they have in China. And there are reports that they're trying to expand production in China as well. So we'll have 
have to see exactly how that plays out. But it certainly doesn't seem like a company like Tesla is pulling out from China. When you look at other Western manufacturers, what you actually see is a bit of a split. Some companies are essentially pulling out of the Chinese market because they don't seem to be able to compete effectively and they see a lot of the global risk. Some companies like Stellantis, Ford to a certain extent. Well, instead, there's other companies like Volkswagen that have doubled down on their investments in China and are actually doing, you know, now investing in Chinese companies to try and acquire their technology, which is quite a change, I think, compared to a few years ago. And as these companies, whether they're Tesla or other foreign companies, as they're investing in China, what sorts of policies has the Chinese government taken to support either their development in China or China's electric auto industry as a whole? Yes, that's a really good question. So there are a variety of tools that are available to the Chinese government at various levels to support manufacturing in general that have been deployed in the automotive sector and EVs in particular. So, you know, there's obviously direct subsidy. Those are in a way are the easiest to quantify, although that's also quite complicated. But then there's quite a significant form of support through the financial sector, right? So the availability of credit to companies that might not necessarily qualify for credit or concessionary loans at lower rates, for example. So that's quite present as well. There's also often local governments provide a variety of types of, of incentives. They might provide tax breaks for companies that set up a factory locally. They may be able to provide land at a preferential rate or even essentially very low cost. They may be able to provide assurance that, maybe even informally assurance that these companies will win procurement contracts, right? So some of these are very hard to track and some of them are a little easier to prove. But on the whole, there has been a lot of support. Another really important one that I should know is essentially injections of equity from the government. There are these so-called government guidance funds in China, which are quite important in providing support for strategic industries. They've been crucial for the semiconductor industry in China, but they have played quite an important role in the automotive sector as well. So they have been able to provide capital to companies in moments in which they needed it. And NIO is one company that's benefited significantly from this in the past. And do foreign automakers enjoy these same benefits or are there additional restrictions that apply to them to create more advantage for domestic Chinese automakers? They have benefited from these. Now, exactly how much relative to Chinese companies is, as I said, hard to quantify. But we know that Tesla, for example, has benefited from several of these instruments and that it received a lot of benefits through the government of Shanghai. Great. Thank you. I did want to follow up a little bit more with what you mentioned earlier, which is how Chinese EV brands are doing. I think you mentioned or suggested earlier that some of them are doing quite well. But on a whole, are they as competitive as leading foreign brands like Tesla? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's difficult in a way to evaluate exactly how this is going to play out in the long term. But right now, I think the Chinese market provides a pretty good indication. So Tesla does very well in China. But other automakers have struggled, especially their EVs have struggled to compete with the EVs produced by Chinese companies. And part of the reason for that is that it does require sort of a company culture shift in the way in which companies think about cars. The software is really important, the type of digital products that 
come with the vehicle are really important. The battery is the component with the most value added in the vehicle. So if you are not producing that in-house, you're losing a big chunk of the value added, essentially. So a company that can take more advantage of the cost reductions that come from producing the battery in-house. So a company like BYD is very highly vertically integrated, for example. Tesla, to a certain extent, is fairly integrated. Companies like Volkswagen have not really had that advantage. So I think you actually see that in the Chinese market where consumers actually used to really like Western cars or foreign cars, Volkswagen was extremely popular in China, have all shifted to Chinese brands or Tesla when it comes to electric vehicles because they're essentially seeing that the product may not even be as good from foreign automakers, the price is cheaper from Chinese brands. And so there's really no reason why they would pick a foreign brand when they could pick a Chinese one. So I think that's indicative, basically, of how competitive these cars are. Now, we're going to have to see exactly how this plays out in the global markets, but I think we have some indications as well in some in some countries where Chinese car makers are now exporting or even, you know, starting to plan production that they could be quite successful and could compete very effectively, at least in the electric vehicle space with other automakers. So I have a couple of follow-on questions there, but maybe I'll just start with one right now and then circle back. So you mentioned that Chinese brands, at least in China, are becoming more popular than foreign brands like Volkswagen. What are some examples of the top Chinese brands? And broadly speaking, are there several leading Chinese brands in electric vehicle or is there a lot more branding and a lot more choice for Chinese customers? Yes. So, I mean, right now, if you're thinking of buying an electric vehicle anywhere in the world, the place where you'd have the most choice is China. And that's because automakers have been developing electric vehicles for a much longer time. And so you also have much more choice in terms of price. So there's just much more availability of lower cost or mid-range cost vehicles compared to, for example, the United States. Now, in terms of brands, you know, I would say BYD is by far the best-selling electric vehicle in China. And they are starting to be more and more successful internationally as well. They're quite an impressive company, actually. But I did mention earlier about the automotive industry in China more broadly, that it was like highly fragmented. So you tended to have a lot of companies, maybe some of which were not selling as many vehicles. That applies to the EV sector as well. We've had a bit of a weeding out of some of these EV makers over the years, but there's still a very large number. And I think the majority of these car makers aren't actually producing a lot of vehicles or very successful ones. But there's quite a few impressive companies that are providing actually interesting products to consumers at the moment. And how many of these different EV companies are actually focused on the Chinese domestic market versus venturing abroad? So, for example, if you're looking at the United States, how much headway are Chinese EVs making here? So the United States may be the worst example in some ways because we really don't see many Chinese exports to the United States at the moment. There is one, as far as I know, there's only one company that is exporting electric vehicles from China to the United States. That's Polestar, which is a joint venture between Volvo and Geely. And Volvo also is owned by Geely, so it is essentially fully Chinese-owned. They are actually scheduled to start producing in the United States soon. And Volvo 
of course, produces in the United States, so they do have a factory already. But that's kind of unique. There are no other companies that are exporting to the United States, and that's because of the tariffs. So tariffs are quite high right now. It is 27.5%. That's because of the tariffs that were introduced during the Trump era. So in a way, that's insulated the American market from Chinese EV exports. Now, getting to your question of how many Chinese companies are producing for the domestic market, well, I'd say initially, I think most car makers in China were focused on the domestic market. It is by far the largest market for electric vehicles. 60% of all EVs sold last year were sold in China, and almost half of all EVs on the roads right now are in China. So both historically and currently, it is the largest market. But as I mentioned before, there's a lot of car makers and there's a lot of choice. And currently, there's also been a bit of a price war. So there's a lot of competition in China. So car makers that exit China find and go to other markets, they have less competition. They have the opportunity of establishing themselves fairly early on in a new developing market, which means that they can establish brand loyalty, etc. And in some cases, these automakers also have boards they respond to that are also pressuring them to internationalize. So I think there's like various reasons why these car makers are going abroad, but I think all the incentives are there for more and more of these Chinese car makers to move internationally, especially given also that the Chinese economy isn't doing super well at the moment. So, Larry, you mentioned earlier Europe and how well they are doing in Europe and to some extent. So you mentioned that they're not making too much headway in the United States. So is Europe the main area where you're seeing the most headway or are you also seeing a significant international push beyond, for example, the advanced developed countries to for other countries in the developing world? Yeah, that's a very good question. So right now, I'd say the vast majority of exports from China are going to Europe. But there are some new growing markets. So when we looked at the data, I would say Asia was the second largest destination for EV exports from China. Southeast Asia is growing quite fast. In the report, we looked at planned production by Chinese automakers in Thailand, which is already an automotive hub and is now working. The government has been actually quite proactive about both promoting EV sales domestically, but also attracting EV manufacturing. So there's several Chinese companies that are setting up factories in Thailand for the Thai market, but also probably, we'll see exactly, but probably to export to the region more broadly. So I think that points to the potential growth in certain other regions. There's always an open question about Latin America. There's a couple of of Chinese car makers, BYD is one of them, that are setting up factories in Brazil. These, again, would probably aiming to produce for the region as well as the domestic market. It's a little more complicated because Brazil actually doesn't have a very strong EV market. So it's a bit of a bet, I'd say. But there's obviously going, you know, there's probably going to be growing demand there in the region in Latin America as well. And of course, Chinese internal combustion engine makers have exported to the developing world for a very long time. So they have strong exports towards the global South, South America, Africa, and Asia, of course. So, you know, there is that existing trade relationship. Thank you. This question may be a little bit left field, but as you know, there's been reports about how China has banned or limited the use of Tesla for China's military and government employees because of concerns of 
what might be recorded, what might be tracked within Tesla. Do you see as China is venturing abroad with its EV vehicles, whether that's in Europe, United States, or elsewhere, any similar concerns about the use of Chinese electric vehicles and the same security concerns? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind is that when we're talking about electric vehicles, we're all focusing on the battery, right? On the actual uh, the the powertrain and why you know the, the the electric side of things. But actually, what's happening is that many of these vehicles are really high tech in the sense they're very connected. They're basically computers on wheels, right? And they're collecting a lot of data. And so I think there is a real question about where does that data go? How is it managed? Do we have the right types of regimes, regulatory regimes to deal with that. And I think that's going to be increasingly important in general. But of course, with Chinese companies, that becomes a bigger question because of issues over transparency and also potential concerns, security concerns over potentially data that gets transferred to China. So I think that's part of a broader question, to be honest, about also how to think about Chinese companies as they internationalize, especially in a lot of these sort of high tech industries. And I think a lot of governments are just going to have to think more deeply about some of these issues and also perhaps more creatively. One final question I want to ask on this segment before transitioning to a related topic is you mentioned that electric batteries are the component with the most value added in terms of electric vehicles produced by China. There's also been significant reporting on how China is the main source of competitively priced EV batteries. What type of advantage does that give China in terms of producing these vehicles? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and actually, I should note that we don't see a lot of exports of Chinese EVs to the U.S., but we are seeing certain companies investing in trying to either build factories, battery factories in the United States, or collaborating with U.S. car makers, most notably Ford and CATL, to produce batteries. And I think that's going to be a recurring headache, I think, here in Washington, because Chinese battery makers are some of the most important producers of these technologies globally, and they have the technology to produce some of these batteries quite cheaply. There's several questions involved in this. There's several issues in this. One is the actual production of the battery. Another one is the components that go into the battery. So China is also a big producer of cathodes and anodes, which of course are needed to produce the batteries. They, uh, China is also a huge refiner of critical minerals that are necessary for the production of a variety of technologies, actually, as your program, the China Power, has written about in the past. But this is particularly important for, for batteries, certainly with lithium for example. And Chinese companies are also very much involved in the mining, which may not happen in China, but you know the Chinese companies are involved overseas. So I think this creates, there's several different related policy questions there, which already are being discussed very actively here in Washington and in other places around the world, certainly in Europe at the moment. And I think it, it really raises some of these, these dilemmas where you do want to have access to the cheapest, most effective technology to reduce emissions for example, and to ensure that also, you know, car makers, American car makers in some cases, have access to components that are effective and low cost. But you also want to ensure that there are reliable, resilient supply chains, there's a diversified supply chain, that there are no strangleholds, right? So I think there's a bit of a, that's, I think, at the the heart of the dilemma right now. 
Great, thank you. I think that's a good transition to talk about the implications of China's EV industry, what it's doing in terms of exports abroad, and what are the implications of that for U.S. policymakers, but also policy within some of our key allies and partners. As you look at China's rapid rise, particularly in the global car auto sector, we're also seeing, for example, the European Commission launching an investigation. Into whether it wants to impose punitive tariffs to protect European producers. What is your best advice as you look at from the U- U.S. government perspective or perspective of our European colleagues? How should we deal with China's growing dominant EV industry? And what are recommendations that you have for policymakers? Thank you. Not easy, right? I think the real issue here is that the first instinct is to introduce tariffs and protect the domestic industry, and that's you know I think as I said, right, that's in partly insulated the United States until now. But what the danger there is that the domestic industry isn't exposed to competition, and so it's not producing those low-cost desirable vehicles that will be competitive in the export markets, right? So I think in a way when we We look at what's been done so far. We've seen that these companies, these legacy automakers in the U.S. or Europe or elsewhere, they really haven't invested significantly in the electric vehicle technology, and in some cases, actually lobbied against it. And so the result has been that these companies have been very unprepared as consumers have picked up and increased their demand for EVs, as well as you know governments providing more incentives because of decarbonization goals. So I think that creates a really challenging policy. Environment. I would say my main advice is not to try and reverse the transition towards electric vehicles, and to continue to provide incentives to companies to be very innovative. So the danger here is that governments may introduce tariffs. Which is the U.S. of course has tariffs right now, and the European Union may eventually introduce tariffs as a result of this ongoing investigation. May introduce tariffs which may protect domestic producers to a certain extent, but then they will also be insulated from competition and will produce vehicles that essentially nobody will want to buy when they go and export to other markets where Chinese automakers are also present. I think this also highlights the challenge right now, where car makers that are pulling out of China are also pulling out of the most. Competitive and dynamic market for automotive market, and so you do actually want car makers somewhat involved in in that conversation and that very dynamic environment that is China right now, in order to then tap into that and be able to produce competitive vehicles. So I think that makes it really complicated for policymakers to balance all these different issues, and I think that's going to be the challenge for the European Commission in the next few months as they. Investigate the subsidies that certainly have been provided to car makers in China, and try to think how they can ensure that European industrial production remains competitive. And do we also have to do more on the whole, I guess, supply chain to support the production of electric vehicles? You were mentioning, for example, critical minerals. You were mentioning the various components that go into an electric vehicle. What could or should the United States or our European allies and partners do in, on that front? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's conversations about this and there's legislation on this, both in the U.S. and the European Union, right? Of course, Inflation Reduction Act has a lot targeting critical minerals and really tries to incentivize both the diversification of supply chains, but also reshoring to a certain extent. In Europe right now, we have the Net Zero Industry Act, the Critical Minerals Act, which are also trying to ensure that Europe has access to a fairly diversified and secure supply chain. These are complicated issues. It's going to be very complicated to actually ensure that these supply chains are available in the short term and also that there is no involvement of Chinese companies just because these value chains have been so interconnected. I think it's just worth keeping in mind that just like with a lot of other technologies that have developed over the past 20 years, these are the product of highly integrated, globalized supply chains. And so when we now try and sort of disentangle how interconnected companies are for legitimate reasons in some cases, it does make it a little complicated. It is a bit of an experiment in terms of what the cost is eventually going to be as well. So I do think that one of the questions that will have to be answered is actually how much Chinese involvement in these supply chains is going to be acceptable. And by that, I mean not just production in China, but also there's a lot of these Chinese companies are internationalizing and are investing more and more internationally. And so I think also trying to think through what is an acceptable level of exposure to Chinese firms is going to be really important. I think different countries are thinking about this differently. The U.S. is probably has a much lower risk tolerance on this compared to some of its partners, including the European Union. But I do think that this is going to be a very important issue. I think right now, the next step in the United States is actually we're all waiting for an entity of concern definition to be issued by the Treasury or be clarified by the Department of Treasury for the Inflation Reduction Act. And that's going to determine which companies can qualify for tax credits for batteries issued in the United States. Thank you, Larry. As you mentioned, this is a very, very complex issue. Really appreciate you joining us to unpack not only what we're seeing within China in terms of China's auto industry, its electric vehicle market, but also what China is doing abroad and how the United States should think about this very complex issue. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. 